0: CHAPTER 10 OF ANGELS OF THE BATTLEFIELD THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG RECORDING BY INDU Nair. ANGELS OF THE BATTLEFIELD BY GEORGE BARTON WHITE HOUSE the many appeals for sisters to repair to the war-stricken sections of the country both north and south had widely separated the members of the emmitsburg community the venerable mother anne simeon remained in executive charge at home father barlando visited as well as he could the various military hospitals where the sisters were stationed his care would not extend beyond the line of hostilities but fortunately the sister assistant had been sent to superintend the missions in the south before the blockade on july fourteenth eighteen sixty two the surgeon general at washington wrote for one hundred sisters to be sent to a station called white house in virginia then in possession of the northern forces So many were already in service that it was impossible to comply fully with this request sixty sisters however started from baltimore for that place as all traveling was attended with much difficulty the sisters experienced many hardships the authorities intended to make a hospital encampment in the vicinity of white house as many thousands of wounded had been brought there from the recent battles no preparations had been made for accommodating the sisters although the officers and doctors were rejoiced at their coming general george b mcclellan then chief in command was some miles distant at the time but sent orders that every possible care and attention should be offered to the sisters father berlando accompanied the sisters to this place and after receiving assurances that proper arrangements had been made for them returned home they had only passed a few days here when suddenly all hands were ordered to leave with the greatest haste the enemy was only two miles distant then began confusion and additional suffering the wounded and dying men were hurriedly placed upon transport boats these vessels were so overcrowded that they seemed more like sinking than sailing the sisters were detailed to accompany the wounded to the several cities where they were destined the work of transportation continuing for several weeks the sisters shared with their patients every horror but their bodily pains they were in the under cabin the ceiling of which was low and the apartment lighted by hanging lamps and candles the men lay on beds on the floor with scarcely enough space to walk between them the sister in charge of this lower ward was so persevering in her zealous attention that even the doctor declared he did not know how human nature could endure such duties a few months later This sister died from the effects of overwork, a martyr to duty. The remaining sisters not engaged with the sick returned to Baltimore, but in a few days received a summons to go to Point Lookout, situated at the southern extremity of Maryland, bounded on one side by the Chesapeake Bay, and on the other by the Potomac River. On the 14th of July, 1862, father Burlando, with twenty-five sisters left baltimore and in twenty-four hours reached the hospital encampment of point lookout the sisters were soon destined to have another martyr in their band they were only at point lookout two weeks when one of the zealous band who had contracted typhoid fever on the transport boat died from that disease she gave up her whole being as generously as she had offered her zealous labours father Berlando had returned to baltimore but a good priest who came occasionally to the encampment heard her confession and she received communion a day or two previous to her death the priest being stationed twelve miles distant could not reach the encampment in time to administer the last sacraments but arrived in time to perform the burial service the kind doctors and officers made every effort to suitably honor the departed sister the men said they deemed it a great privilege to act as the pallbearers all of the soldiers who had died had been buried with only a sheet wrapped around them but for the sister a white pine coffin was procured the authorities walked in procession the drum corps played a dead march there on the banks of the potomac rested the worn-out sister of charity what a subject for the pen of the poet or the brush of the painter several cottages and tents as well as wooden wards for the accommodation of thousands of sick and wounded made this narrow strait a thickly inhabited place many of the men were in a deplorable state from the effects of their wounds and painful removals from distant battlegrounds the priest often came on friday and remained until monday constantly engaged among the soldiers instructing baptizing and hearing confessions on sunday mornings he said the first mass at the encampment and the second in the little chapel The first mass was said in a tent surrounded by soldiers. The captain of the guards marched his company to mass that day, and at the elevation a drum was sounded, and all adored profoundly. Later on, the officers gave the sisters more cottages, and by removing the patients, they had a good sized chapel. With but few exceptions, the doctors and officers were very kind to the sisters. Removals by death and the arrival of more wounded men sometimes caused the wards to be emptied and refilled again the same day. As soon as a boat would land, a horn was blown to let the sisters know that they must go to their wards. Then they would appoint a place for each sufferer, giving the best accommodations to those who were enduring the greatest anguish. Many among the new arrivals were Confederate prisoners. About this time, orders came from Washington that no women nurses were to remain at the point. After the sisters had begun their work, a band of young ladies arrived for the purpose of nursing the sick, and they were surprised to find the sisters there before them. When the sisters heard the order from Washington concerning women nurses, they made preparations for leaving, but the chief physician said to them, remain here sisters until i hear from washington for we cannot dispense with your services at this time the physician telegraphed to the national capitol and received this reply the sisters of charity are not included in our orders they may serve all alike at the point prisoners and others but all other ladies are to leave the place about five o'clock on the morning of the sixth of August, eighteen sixty four, the Sisters were at meditation in their chapel when they were startled by a noise like thunder, and looking out, saw the air darkened with whirling sand, lumber, bedsteads, stovepipes, and even the roofs of houses. A raging tornado and water sprout were tearing and destroying all in their way taking in everything from the river to the bay the little chapel shook from roof to foundation doors and windows were blown down sick and wounded men were blown out on the ground wards and cottages were carried several feet from their base two sisters who had not yet arisen terrified at finding their lodgings falling to pieces ran out and in their efforts to reach the chapel were struck down by the flying doors and as often raised from the earth by the violent wind the sisters were too stunned with surprise to know what to do though truly nothing could be done for they would only have left one part of the chapel for another when the last part would be blown away in one of these intermissions a sister seized hold of the tabernacle Fearing that its next place would be in the bay, but the altar was the only spot in the chapel that the angry elements seemed to respect. Lumber and iron bedsteads were carried over the tops of the cottages. The wards were nearly all filled with patients, and several of these buildings were levelled to the ground. The men who were able to move about were running in all directions for safety many of them only half dressed one house was seen sailing through the air and the bodies in it at the time of the storm were not discovered until some days afterward the storm lasted about 10 or 15 minutes but in this time heavy mattresses were carried through the air like so many feathers it was some time before all could be repaired the poor patients had to be cared for in some way or other and it was not an unusual sight to see the sisters standing by the stove with their saucepans of broth in one hand and umbrellas in the other only too happy thus to relieve the poor sufferers the sisters going to the provost one day were informed that a deserter was to be shot the next morning and they were requested to see him they visited the prison for the purpose of consoling the condemned but the man showed no desire to see them and they sorrowfully returned home later the prisoner regretted not having seen the sisters and asked to have them sent for the kind provost sent an orderly telling the sisters of the poor man's desire it was now very dark and some of the authorities advised the sisters not to go until the next morning the orderly carried this message to his superior but was sent back again with a note from the provost saying i will call for you on horseback and will be your pilot with the ambulance i will guide the driver safely through the woods and will also conduct you home safely I think circumstances require your attendance on the prisoner. This was enough for the sisters, and they were soon at the prison, but found a minister of the prisoner's persuasion with him. After he had finished his interview, the sisters were taken to the man, who apologized for not seeing them sooner. One of the sisters asked him if he had been baptized. He said, No, never then she informed him of its necessity and he regretted with much fervour that he had not known this sooner the sisters remained with him some hours giving him such instructions as his condition required after baptizing him he expressed his desire to see a priest the provost looking at his watch replied that he could not be there in time it was now late And the execution must take place early in the morning. The young man resigned himself fully to his fate, saying, I deserve death, and freely pardon anyone who will take part in it. I know I must die by the hand of one of my company, but whoever it may be, I forgive him. Then he returned to his devotions with such a lively faith that the sisters had no fear for his salvation they bade him adieu and promised to assemble before the altar in his behalf when the hour of his trial drew near and to remain in prayer until all would be over with him the kind provost made all arrangements for the sister's return home and said when leaving the prison may i have such help at my death and die with such a good disposition at the dreaded hour in the morning the sisters knelt before their humble altar most fervently imploring the redeemer to receive the soul of the poor deserter they continued very long after the sound of the fatal fire had told them that his destiny had been decided the soldiers remarked afterwards that every one on the point was present at the execution with the exception of the sisters who had retired to pray for the doomed man peace being declared preparations were made for a general removal the doctors desired the sisters to remain until all the sick and wounded had gone after this they too left the point on the first of august eighteen sixty five going to their home at Emmitsburg the sisters carried away with them a sense of duty well done the sacrifices they made while at point lookout were never fully made known not even to their superiors several sisters fell victims to death and disease one of the most conspicuous of these was sister consolata conlon who in the twelfth year of her age yielded up her spotless life while in attendance upon the sick and wounded soldiers end of chapter 10